How many of you brought your Bibles? How many brought your phones? Uh, kind of 50-50. We're in the, we're in the book of Mark. Uh, a very familiar story. But I want to make a disclaimer right now. This is not an indictment on people who have money, who have wealth, okay? Too many times we beat up on people. And the Bible teaches very plainly that God in his giftedness grants people the ability to accumulate funds. And, and God does that because he also gifts these people with the gift of giving. And that's how so much gets done in the kingdom of God. People who are not like this in their wealth, they're like this, and God blesses. So this, this isn't an indictment. You know, I thank God. I, I've got some friends that uh, support me. Uh, when I go on mission trips and I always tell them that when you support me as you have, how much I appreciate it. But everything that gets done in those countries that I go to, they share the blessing because they are senders and prayers. And that's how God works it. So this is not anti-being money. In fact, if any of you have any old money laying around that you don't want, if you will call me, I will be happy to come to your house and pick it up and put it to very good use. Okay? All right. But this is about a young man who made a very wrong decision. A decision that had consequences, not just in this life, but eternally. I, w- I want to put this whole story into perspective to help you understand. I have three scriptures that I want to read to you. First one is Psalms 14. We're going to read verses 2 and 3. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have been corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now, you may think that's a dismal uh, verse, but it's not. When Paul said in the book of Romans, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, it does something very, very important. At the very beginning of all of our lives, we're all the same. There are, we are all the same. No one is good. No one does good. We are all sinners. And that's where God steps in. Next is John 6. We're going to read a couple verses. John 6. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. The Father, God, sent me, Jesus, draws them through the Spirit, and I will raise them up on the last day. Uh, verse sixteen sixty-five. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. 
who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you, that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. I put these verses out there because I want you to understand the situation in this young man's life and perhaps maybe the situation in your life at one time. I've often said without the Spirit of God, and this is not me talking, it's the Word of God talking through me. Unless the Spirit of God begins to arouse in you a fact that you are a sinner and you need a Savior. Unless the Spirit of God points that out, you will not pursue Jesus Christ. Because until we realize that apart from Christ, we are helpless and hopeless in this world and the world to come. Until we realize that and are ready to repent totally and fully and follow Christ, then the Spirit of God has not called to us. This is the situation of this young man as we read uh, the background to get a picture of who he was. Uh, I'm going to read, before we get into Mark, I want to read the account in Matthew 19. Uh, Matthew gives us an account uh, of the story. Then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to, in, to get eternal life? Hold it there. What good thing must I do? Remember that question. Okay. Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. And if you want to enter the life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these things I've kept. The young man said, what do I still lack? Do you notice the question? All these things I've done, everything Jesus said, but yet he knows something's lacking. Let's see what Mr. Luke has to say about this account. It says a certain ruler asking, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. 
All these things I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and then follow me. And he heard this. The young man heard this. He became very sad because he was very wealthy. This man came looking. I I believe that anyone who bases their hope of eternity based on the things that you do will always have doubt in their mind. And I'm going to tell you why. Unless you are something different and we're not, your life consists of good things you do, bad things you do, rotten things you do, semi-good things you do. There's simply no consistency in life because without Jesus Christ, there is not an anchor for you. There is not a set destination. There is not that compass setting of due north where Christ reigns. You're all over the place. So there will always be doubts. This young man did not feel like he needed repentance. He didn't feel like he needed forgiveness. And he would not submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. There's something that only you can mark in your life. And it's something that people need to do daily, take stock. I know with me, in February is my birth month. Every year about January or even before then, I begin to think about the prior year. And I begin to think about the prior years and the things that I've done and and where my life is going. And I always take stock in this month where I'm at. And it's some, I've learned to be very honest and very brutal with myself for one reason. It is tragic when people consistently try to fool themselves into believing that everything is okay. Because when you try to fool yourself into believing everything's okay, There are events that happen in your life that are out of your control and your life is shattered and it comes apart. And that's not the life that he has for you. This young man had a problem. I read those three because here's what we find out about the young men. In Matthew, we find out he's young. In Luke, we find out he's a ruler. And in Matthew, Luke, and Mark, we all find out he is rich. So that's the setting with this young man. Also, let me point out, if you notice, Jesus talked to him about the second, the second tablet of the commandments. That's his relationship with people, not his relationship with God. Because you see, this man was telling Jesus everything on that tablet I have done I've done perfectly. The ruler means he is no doubt a ruler in the synagogue. So this is a very uh, Jewish religious man. I've kept all of these, 
But he did not, what didn't come to his mind is the first tablet. And on the first tablet it says, you shall have no other gods before me. And in that man's life, his money was his God. His wealth was his God. His position was his God. And even in looking at this account, we can see the worshipful attitude that he had. All right. My outline. I think it's cute today, so y'all pay attention. This is a red-hot prospect. You know, this is one of these guys that comes in on Tuesday morning. He's dressed to the nines. He's got that walk, you know, just, yeah, man. I'm cool. And you can tell he's rich. He's got rings on his fingers. Got them in his ear, maybe. I mean, he's got the Rolex. He's got it. This is a guy y'all will run and get me and say, Preacher, we got somebody we need here at Tomoka. He's got money. The outward eyes says it's a hot prospect. It's a hot prospect, but the problem is he's a prospect for Jesus Christ. You see, the attitude that we find today in the church is a recruitment. And it's almost got to the point that we, maybe subconsciously, we never write it down because that would be discriminatory. But we have a picture of who we want to be in our church and maybe those we'd rather not show up. And, and see, that's the problem. The Bible teaches evangelism in this way. One word or two words. I'll count right. Whosoever will. That's where evangelism goes. Every person needs Jesus Christ. And the body of Christ is made up of red and yellow, black and white. They're precious in his sight. And so when Jesus looked at this young man, he didn't see someone that could finance his ministry. One of the versions says that he loved this young man. His heart went out to this young man. Because here is a young ruler, here's a young man with his whole life ahead of him, and he's fooling himself. And no doubt he's taking an account of things, and he's saying, the one thing I don't have, and I don't know how to work it and get there, I don't have a hope of eternal life. Mark gives, his, uh, gives the account in this way, in Mark 10. Uh, beginning verse 17. Jesus started on his way. He was actually leaving, excuse me, he was leaving Jericho and Periah and he's headed to Jerusalem. And a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. I think God was trying to prompt this religious leader. The religious leader knew no one is good but God. 
the young man came, and I think he was just trying to butter Jesus up, but he didn't recognize. Jesus was saying, I'm good, but it's because I'm God. The young man didn't recognize that, even with a hint Jesus gave him. Let's, let's go ahead. You know the commandments. See, he's putting it back on the guy. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your mother and and your father. Teacher, he declared, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked on him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven. Now, this is what he was asking about. He was saying, how can I have eternal life? So, Jesus is saying, if you want treasure in heaven, where it doesn't get stolen... Doesn't get dusty. It doesn't rot. Sell everything you got. Give to the poor. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. You notice he did not argue with Jesus. He didn't try to get into a debate with Jesus. He went away fallen. Because Jesus had identified the source of his hope in life and had identified his God. His God was his wealth and his possession. Jesus had said that. Now, is it Jesus saying you need to sell everything or, and then come and give, bring me that money or give to the poor. Why did he say that? No one can have two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. And Jesus recognized the fact that he would never submit to the lordship of Jesus. He would never truly follow him because there was another God in his life. And despite of all All of his religious achievements, he didn't have the hope of eternal life. In fact, again, he was blaspheming God because his wealth was his God. Well, it's not really about us. Or let's look at the poverty of riches. Verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his word. No doubt. They're wondering, why did Jesus turn this guy away? Jesus didn't ask him to sign a card. Jesus didn't ask him to to follow him in a prayer. Jesus just hit to the very core of his life and why? And what were the conditions of following him? And let me throw out here, and I'll throw it out again. Those same conditions today apply to us. Whatever God that we're holding on to, it may not be money. We may be holding on to our poverty. 
Oh, woe is me. Blues, despair, and agony on me. I ain't got nothing. You know, that becomes your God. It becomes your mat. What in your life is stopping you from totally, fully, wholly following God? We need, we need to find that out. Disciples were amazed at this word. Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Hold that. I did some studying on this because I've heard all kind of things. One explanation is there was a very small gate in Jerusalem. And it was so small that a camel had to get on its knees and just kind of wiggle to go through. Now, the truth of the matter is, there's no such gate in Jerusalem called the Camel Gate. Okay? Put that to rest. Other people have said that the scribe in writing this wrote down cord or rope. Not cord bear. uh, Cord or rope. A rope could not go through the eye of a needle. Now... I don't think any self-respecting scribe could mess up the word camel or confuse it with cord. Do you? It doesn't. See, a rope couldn't go through an eye of a needle either. You see, what Jesus was saying this, it's easier for a camel, big boy, one or two humps, to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is saying, he said, with man, this is impossible. That's why I read to you the three scriptures. Man himself does not on his own decide his destiny. As the spirit begins to speak... Man understand, and when I say man, ladies, I'm not leaving y'all out. Mankind understands there is one essential need in the life of every individual, and that is their relationship with God. Because without that right relationship with God, it doesn't matter how rich, how famous, it doesn't matter how poor, how much of a no, it, nothing else matters in your life. Your life will be turmoil without understanding the priority of relationship with Jesus Christ. All right, we'll finish the next two verses. Disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus tells them. He looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Salvation is all God. Start, middle, and finish. That's the importance of when a person begins to understand their life is a mess, and it's a mess because of sin. And that they can't possibly overcome this sin. On Monday nights, we are in uh, teaching a biblical way 
to be released from the bondage of addiction. And the thing that is different about this and every other 12-step, CR, everything else that goes, is that in Christ there is total redemption. Total redemption. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. You are battling with addiction. If you, when you come to Jesus Christ and you are saved, you don't spend your life identified as an addict. You are identified as a child of God. And the one thing that God gives us in salvation through his son Jesus is freedom. Paul said this, and this is my commentary, okay? This is my words. I can do anything I want to, anytime I want to, everything's lawful to me. But he said, I will not go into bondage over anything. And you see, that's the key. That's the key. Bondage can be as little as a Diet Coke. You realize that? I know people that drink a case a day. They've got to have that fix. That's something that is controlling your life. Oh, we don't look at that at control. But I'm going to tell you something. When something that small can control your life, you have this personality we call an addictive personality that Satan is going to suck you in on everything that he can. And it draws all your attention away from your Savior, Jesus Christ, and puts it on your addiction. With man, it's impossible. First Timothy six seventeen says this. Did I give that to you? I probably didn't. But I have it. Here we go. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. That goes for anything you're putting your hope on. I'm trying to be a good steward of time. We have a very important class after this. That class is for grandparents and, and how they relate to their grandchildren. Very important. It's still open. We need more of you in there. So I'm going to finish with this. There was a man named Jim Elliott. No, no doubt you've heard of him. He was a bush pilot missionary. He flew into this place and landed They were going to reach a group that had never been reached. There were four other people with them, and immediately when he landed his plane, they killed Jim and other people, the other men. Uh, Years later, Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of Jim Elliot, would go back. And the very man who pushed the spear into the heart of Jim Elliot was now the pastor of a church. And this tribe. Years prior to that, Jim Elliott wrote this 
in his, in his uh, journal. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Very simple message. What are you holding on to in your life today that prevents a very close personal walk with Jesus Christ? No pulling, no tugging, very comfortable, yes, Lord. What, what in your life is present, presenting now? What are you holding on to that's important? You see, we can't hold on to our life. Do you realize that? You know, they can hook you up to monitors and breathe for you. They got a, a thing they'll put on your heart and make your heart beat. Then they got stuff on your legs that'll make your muscles contract. My question, is that living? Is that living? No, we don't control our life. That's why he's saying he's no fool that just gives up everything. It doesn't matter. Now, does that mean you lose it? Because the part I'm leaving out is that Peter walked up to Jesus, as only Peter can do, say, hey, we left everything. We left everything for you. We left our family, our friends, our job. We left it all for you. What about us? And Jesus said, Peter, quit sweating the small stuff. That's in my commentary. He said, you will receive many more friends, relatives, houses, jobs in this world and the world to come. The answer to the question of what do you have to lose to follow Christ is basically nothing. Because there's nothing that you have apart from Christ that you can call your own and hold on to. So it's time to get rid of some junk. It's time for you to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ and hold nothing back. I had a man tell me one time, I'm in my 70s, I've never come to Christ. I don't know if I could humble myself and come. I said to that man, one day you're going to humble yourself before God and you're going to bow down before him. The problem is if you come now, he'll say, enter into my kingdom. If you wait to then, he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. See, the time is now. When Jesus calls, when he speaks, it's time. Father, Take your word to where it needs to go. Apply it in the lives as there is a need that you see in our lives exactly like you saw in the young man's life. May we see a movement of God today in this congregation forsaking all to follow Christ, coming back to Christ, coming to him anew. Oh, God, have your way in this service in Christ's name. Amen.